0: hello welcome to another episode of the rippling pages podcast great writers making ways with the word all in conversation with me liam bishop and today i'm talking to jesse greengrass jesse's debut novel site was published by john murray and was shortlisted for the women's prize for fiction back in 2018 there jesse ruminated on the motherhood the invention of the x-ray and sigmund freud's relationship with his daughter anna in the high house her second novel Jessie sets her sights on the climate crisis as a family prepare for impending floods by retreating to the titular High House. There, a home high on a bluff has an orchard, gardens, a water generator and a boat. Everything required to try and survive a flood. Jessie is also the author of a short story collection, An Account of the Decline of the Great Orc According to the One Who Saw It, which was also published by John Murray, but it's the High House we're here to discuss today published by Swift Press. There are parallels with your first novel, Sight uh, in the High House, I thought, in the use of the first person, but also encompassing multiple voices and perspectives within that first person. So I wondered if you could start by talking about the development of the High House, following on from a novel like Sight. Um, It seems a polyphonic first person, if we can call it that, is deployed to a different effect in the High House.
1: Yeah, I think finishing Sight, it felt like it. I wanted to do something different. Um, obviously, it's still me writing, so there's an extent to which it's you know it, it is a continuation. But I very much didn't want to write the same kind of uh, sort of episodic essay kind of thing as Sight because it just felt like it could easily become a kind of shtick. You know that that's that's the that's the way that I work, and it's it 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 was the way that I worked for site because it felt like that with a novel that, that, that could encompass that. Um, but in many ways, the high house is sort of much more straightforward. What I was trying to kind of explore in it, simpler, more objective idea, I think of kind of, uh, you know, climate anxiety. Um, so it really felt like I needed to find a different way of writing. Um, but, I, but but still in the first person, because I just like, that's what interests me. What interests me, I think as a writer is the way that people describe their own lives. Um, you know, the, the kind of interiority of it, the, um, the sort of excuses that they make for themselves, the justifications, the, 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 the way that they remember, you know, all of that is what interests me. And I, I, I kind of, I find that the first person is the easiest way to write about that. And there are three, there are sort of three narrators in the high house and they it kind of slips in between them um but I, I guess I wanted them to to feel they end up living kind of in isolation in this house so mm, mm. you know I also wanted them to feel like they were all part of of kind of one thing like one unit they become a kind of you know a kind of uh, trinity in a way you know they they, mm. they are both one and many.
0: Yeah you uh I wrote I went back to your short stories and it Felt like sight was the um, sort of odd one out. Really, was, sight was a. It felt like High House was sort of a progression from uh, your short story collection. I mean, we're here to talk about the High House, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a quote in Sight that I remember, um, and it's the promise of simple, the promise of the simplifying power of explanation. Sight that knowing the constitution of their bodies, they might be granted understanding of their minds. And I thought Sight was a brilliant novel about being within people there was a the the narrator's pregnant isn't she and oh she's talking yeah. about having children and this idea of pregnancy and bodies within bodies and then you talk about the x-ray the inventor of the x-ray and you have this way of looking in the mind inside the body and then obviously freud and anna freud and how was it right in these characters reflections on one another because they see one another as not in the same way that you could do in in insight
1: um, I mean, it felt really important that, that their relationships should be the kind of central part of the novel. So, um, you know, the, the ways that they are kind of annoyed by one another, the ways that they care for and about one another, which are not, you know, I think are not the same thing. You, you can care f- for someone physically without, while simultaneously being kind of desperately annoyed by them. Um, and <laughs> vice versa, you know, you can really love someone but be incapable of performing care for them. Um, so I, I sort of wanted to to get at the and the, you know the ways that they feel differently about one another. They're not you know no relationships are equal or even. So it's it's the and, and um, so it was kind of trying to get at those very complicated balances between the three of them, um, the things that unite them and the things that the the things that sort of separate them, the ways that they can kind of ease one another's lives and the ways that they, that even though they are sort of together they remain. Kind of solitary and I think that kind of going back to sight that's that's one of the kind of central ideas that's always interested me is the is the the extent to which you can communicate with other people the extent to which you can overcome your subjectivity and and it lim- it feels limited to varying degrees depending on on you know the circumstances and the times of your life so sudden you know sometimes you'll feel like you can you're telling someone something and, and they absolutely understand everything and you can kind of you become sort of open and sometimes yeah. you feel like no matter how hard you try, you can't kind of explain what it is that you feel. And that way that language is is sort of the bridge between self and other is something that really interests me in the way that that bridge works and the way that it fails.
0: Like I said, it's kind of, you know, polyphonic. It's, it's room for other voices and other people and other characters. It's not a... I guess one of the main distinctions then is the fact that you are writing about, you know, real people in sight. And the high house out, you know, might traditionally called characters. Is 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 the first person the way, is the first person the key to, you know, key to that for you? Is it is it is it can you see yourself writing in third person?
1: I, I wouldn't ever say that I'll never write a novel in the third person, but it I think that it it doesn't interest me. Like I, it is a different sort of project and it's not one that at the moment I can kind of see myself being interested in. There are some kinds of writing in the third person that I that I think do get to the same sorts of things as I'm sort of interested in. Like Hilary Mantel does it phenomenally. You know, she manages to get that into it. But then she's just an you know an extraordinarily brilliant writer with a, an awful lot of kind of practice behind her. I, I can't imagine. You know, maybe at some point I would. I, I can. I, I might. You know, I could find a way, or, or there might be a, an idea that I had that seemed like it it was better expressed in the third person, and then I could find a way to do it. But I. I don't really see the interest in that for me at the moment. I, th- I mean, I think about the way that I write very much as kind of monologue, you know, like the, they are, the, the characters are people talking directly as though they were standing on stage trying, you know, or at a tribunal or, you know, anywhere trying to explain themselves. And that that's what interests me, I think.
0: One of the interesting things that I thought was, is that you seem to have an interest in... And this is a novel about climate change and a kind of impending climatic kind of disaster. And you seem to have an interest in scientific authority or experts, if that's what we want to call them. I'm talking about the character of Francesca here. But I'm kind of thinking of the, how you've come from sight. You have a person who sort of discovered the X-ray or invented the X-ray, Freud, a very author, you know, authoritarian figure, and I just wondered if we could talk about Francesca and the role she plays in this novel about, you know, the things that we've just highlighted, but also about climate change.
1: So I think Francesca is, is sort of a difficult, a difficult character and she was purposefully difficult. Um, you know, she has, a, she has a child at the beginning of the novel, despite the fact that she is kind of acutely aware of the potential for the world to unravel very quickly um events i think world events kind of unspool slightly faster than she's expecting and she feels you know she is forced to choose between her own family and um the you know her job really the good that she can potentially do in the world and she she goes and she leaves her her very young son behind um with his father and and, um half sister Mm -hmm. um one of the things about Francesca is that um, one of the comments that I've had from a few people is that you know they they just don't believe that she would have had a child, um, which I think is an interesting one. But then I also think that like I had to choose at the beginning whether to make Francesca <laughs> male or female, and I chose to make her female precisely because I think it makes her seem way more difficult. I think if she was if she was a ma- you know if she was a male if she was a man, um, n- no one would no one would think anything other than that she was oh look you know she's had a kid and now she's gone you know now she's gone off to do her job and she travels a lot in order to kind of get that that uh, that idea of her of being kind of morally complicated potentially morally compromised character it felt really important that she should be a mother she is she does seem to have kind of knowledge of I mean she is a bit of a kind of Cassandra figure she sort of can see what's happening or is unable to pretend not to see what's happening in a way that other people can't and so she sort of begins to build this arc um at the high house yeah i mean uh, like scientific authority is interesting i think i think again sort of what interests me particularly you know with with those people in um in sight was their sort of fallibility i think again you know the, the what like particularly with kind of who who discovered the x-ray you know it's the the discrepancy between how his how those achievements are viewed by the world and how they feel to the person who makes them I mean I think you know we're all pretty interested I would have thought in in what it feels like to make an enormous kind of world-changing discovery (laughs) yeah um and 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 how that would make you feel as a person and how much you would buy into your own kind of celebrity you know all of those things um at me is sort of interesting um you know it's it's the stuff of sort of many dark corners of the internet <laughs> I
0: think. well I, you say that but i imagine it's it's the fancy of a lot of you know particularly the way um you know the, the way our kind of academic world is now the, the kind of you know emphasis on kind of accreditation that kind of thing and kind of first to a discovery sort of thing imagine mm. that it's not partic- it's not an uncommon feel I don't think it's, an, it's certainly not something reserved for science but I guess for Francesca it's how do you think then that reflects on I mean you've spoken about her role as a woman and roles as a mother and the choices she has to make how, how does that reflect then on her or on the reader, reading about Francesca? She's not, we don't get masses of, you know, we don't get lots of her, we don't get lots of dialogue from her. Um, You know, how do you expect the reader to respond to Francesca?
1: I I mean, I expect her to be quite unlikable um, at the same time as being obviously right, you know. um, And and again, I think that that's, that's sort of, I find that really interesting, the idea to which you can be a terribly sort of good person in, in some respects, you know, um, at the expense of other facets of your life or personality. You know, she's w- the, the perspective on her that you get in the novel is from the point of view of her children, of her family her, specifically her children. They have been abandoned by her. Like they don't, they don't, their love for her is sort of compromised and complicated and the fact that she is the fact that she is doing what she's doing for as she perceives it i think a, a greater good and the fact that actually maybe that is the greater good doesn't take away the impact of that on the people that she's closest to and and that is, you know, that is that's a that's a fact of life, I think. That that kind of the way that things are complicated. You do some things at the expense of other things and and there is a cost. And often that cost isn't isn't, you know, particularly when you have children, the cost of things is not necessarily paid by you, it's paid by your children. And that I suppose is a theme through the whole novel, you know, that that, that is exactly what climate change is, the things that the decisions that we are making now will be um visited the consequences will be visited upon our children and their children you know and that that that's 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 the world that we are trying to exist in
0: yeah the anxiety i mean it's probably not too existential really it's probably quite direct the anxiety we have about climate change or some people have you really write interestingly about the generations and let's see if we can talk a bit more about some of the other characters As we have the, the children um and then we have sally and we have grandy And Grandy, you you write this really sort of interesting, intimate portrait and the interesting dynamics of people with Grandy. And I was gonna ask, you know, is this idea of climate change, is it rooted to in the sense that it's caused by all generations? Or is it more to do with the idea of nurturing and care that we have to see the characters display to help them get through this, um, you know, this event, this, this, this sort of catastrophe that's about to happen, this flood?
1: um I think so I think that yeah it's partly about care but it's partly about knowledge so I think that when I was when I was thinking about writing the novel um I was thinking you know what would you if you were if you were actually trying to you know, a, a, if you were trying to be not you know a crazy survivalist um but someone who was genuinely try, trying to build something which would enable your children to survive for a while longer you know I think it it it's very clear that the idea of kind of I mean I don't even know you know when it, when I when I came to kind of think about it you know what what does survival actually mean in the context of, of climate change because if there's only three of you in a house like what what is your long term what is your long term you know you're not going to be um, repopulating the planet um, such as it is you know what's left of it so it's really just a case of kind of clinging on and if you were someone who was trying to enable, some children to do that what would you want to give them um and you know I, I looked into it and a lot of tins <laughs> is part of the answer and then it's things like well they're going to grow out of their shoes you need to, you know shoes are really important if you don't if you can't protect your feet and you're in a kind of post-medical world if you get you know if you get a nail in your foot you're really really in trouble um know, what would you want to give them in terms of animals you can my um brother in or as a dairy farmer so i spoke to him and he said you know cows are pretty much out because you you do need to you know you, you can have a cow for a year but then you need to get more cows and the you know that means you need bulls but you can't just have one bull because then very quickly you get into trouble with the offspring of your cows but chickens are fine <laughs> <laughs> because uh chickens apparently they can interbreed for quite a long time before you start getting any problems um well, so, so top, that was fine good top tip give some. them, yeah, <laughs> <pretty> <laughs> no, give them chickens um but then the, the the thing that it felt like they would need most is someone to teach them how to do it you know how to live and a lot of those skills are skills that we have forgotten which ties into another part of the book which is about the fact that the narrative of the last century is one of enormous progress but also enormous loss um in terms of ways of life and knowledge and landscapes and communities um And one of the things that I was sort of interested in is the way that what of those losses or which of those losses are kind of normal losses and which of them are problematic or, you know, what's the difference between climate change and any other physical alteration in the planet? You know, if you're looking at things like the the history of coastal villages, it's not like you can kind of point to... Um, a sort of halcyon era in which everyone was having a wonderful time. It was, you know, live, fishing was, has always been a, a brutal and difficult and dangerous way to live, which we've lost um, in, in large part in many places. Is, I'm, I'm in the Northeast, co- on the Northeast coast, there's a bit of it still up here. Ha- having kind of lost that history, what happens if then it turns out that the thing that we've replaced it with is untenable? Which, you know, it potentially, I don't know, it, all of these questions, it just, the more I thought about it, the more complicated it felt. And so I think that Grandy becomes a character who that can solidify around. You know, he is, he re- he sort of does represent the past um, and all the, and his life has been a life of of, of watching things alter, um, which I think he experiences as loss, but also potentially, you know, until things Really deteriorate his granddaughter Sally you know he's brought her up and she's she's gone to university and she's about to it seems build herself her own potentially very interesting life um, and that's taken away from her by um, by kind of climate catastrophe so I think he he became a way of sort of exploring that past I think and that that was how I sort of thought of him and he is and and a conduit for knowledge so he tries to teach them as best he can how to use use the tools that they have.
0: But there's a lot there's a lot in there there's a lot of concern there's a lot of I didn't pick this up so much in the novel but talking about here there's a lot of sort of industrial concern and you know livelihoods and this is why I wondered if you know, is this, is this a novel about the end or is this not, you know, or is it, is it about somebody's end, you know, is it about the end of a generation, the end of a life, or is it about the actual end of, you know, of, of, of the world or, and because I kind of felt like at times I was, I was reading a novel set within a kind of, you know, sort of demoria, end of an, you know, end of an era, gothic kind of Mm. country house sort of, you know, the, times are ending and a new era is coming in the kind of it's not so much a gothic novel is it you do talk about ghosts and things and you do talk about sort of edwardian kind of themes with you know *Line the witch in the wardrobe and but you know the question i asked at the end was are we at the end or is it something that we can't help but think we're at the end
1: i so i suppose that i think that that is very much the question that i sort of wanted it i think I think that we are programmed to be unable to conceive of an end, which isn't also a beginning. Um, And that, that allows us to escape from the real, really frightening kind of consequences of, you know, climate change and, and all of the other, uh, you know, varying, um multiplicity of atrocities which (laughs) feel like they're piling on one another there's a few at the moment Um, yeah (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that we are sort of deep down in our in our little human psyches sort of unable to think about it in the same way that you know if you try and think of yourself being dead you know you you kind of it's impossible to envisage that you can think about your own funeral, but then that you know that that involves you sort of being present, even in a kind of disembodied sort of way. You know, you can think about the act of dying and whether that's frightening and whether you'd be in pain. But I, I mean, I'd, maybe not everybody, but certainly if I try and imagine something, you know, what what actually being dead will mean, it's like, you know, it's like trying to get the two two same poles of a magnet together. You know, it just kind of slips off you know and, and and then you find that you're either sort of thinking of practicalities or euphemisms or religion and i think that those are all ways of sort of filling that impossible space and i think that when when you know when we write books about the end of the world absolutely it's it's kind of it's sort of impossible to to kind of envisage that and so what you always end up with is survive, you know survivors but, you know all, all the way through the book it it should feel like there's going to be some kind of ending which will enable um, a, a potential future, and and I think that, that it absolutely you were sort of you know I wanted it to seem at the end like you know what what future is there then like what you know what is it that's going to come after it you you ex, you want to fill that space your mind wants to fill that space you know narrative wants to fill that space but the you know the three characters in the house are you know they don't. They, they can't imagine what's gonna come afterwards.
0: And it, it might just be one of those things, I just thought there was a lot of kind of references to unspooling um, and just thinking about this idea of, you know, something coming to an end, kind of enclosed or something sort of continuing. And
1: I mean, I think definitely that, that idea that you're sort of coming, that everything's kind of coming apart, the, the, the way that you expect it, the way that you expect things to happen, but in terms of, of when to end, you know, there was definitely a, a lot of kind of you know I thought about that in this book and whether whether it was you know because it's 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 not really a post apocalyptic novel, you know, it's not it's not set after an apocalypse. It is set like as that as <laughs> host, it occur- you know as, as, as host it host occurs, <laughs> yeah, um, and that felt really important f- for exactly that reason. I think that I didn't want to envisage what was going to come afterwards. The point is that 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 is unenvisageable and to attempt to kind of fit that afterwards into an uh, into a kind of book or into a, into a story into a narrative structure would would diminish it i think i really i really wanted to leave it at the end, you know at the end point of now i suppose you know the point at which the world that we have sort of stops And rather than saying, oh, and afterwards, everyone lives in trucks and, you know, chases one another through the desert or whatever, you know, (laughs) well, maybe they do. That would be really fun. But, you know, that that's like people living in trucks and chasing one another through the desert. That's that's still a world, you know, that's 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 a way of life. That's a civilization. They've come and gone forever. They they've always, you know, what happens if that is not this? You know, what happens? It, we're so used to the idea that, you know, the, the Greeks, they were really good and then they stopped, you know, and then something rose up in its place. And that's a natural progression. That's the natural order. You know, people, people live their lives and they have a shape and then people die and then more people come. Um, and it's, you know, there's grief and there's loss and there's sadness, but ultimately it turns it on. And maybe that's what we're living through. Maybe this is a kind of reconfiguration. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's a reconfiguration, or maybe this is actually this, the unimaginable thing, which is the end of your own life, the end of a functioning planet. Like it's, I don't, I don't have an. It's not like I believe that the that the world is coming to an end, but I believe that the world is a kind of scary and frightening place, and it's incredibly hard to think about or look at it straight and the and and that that I think is the thing that interests me the way that we kind of veer off from it I left school for good at lunchtime on the day I turned 18 I walked home the house was empty I had no plans either for the afternoon or for the time beyond it my life which stretched empty ahead or didn't it was becoming clear to everyone now that things were getting worse The winter before, half of Gloucestershire had been flooded and the waters refusing to recede had made a new fen, covering homes and fields, roads, schools, hills rising from it like islands. In York, the river had burst its banks and the city centre was gone. Walls, which had stood for nearly two millennia, washed halfway down to Hull. People didn't say these places were gone. They didn't say that there were families living in caravans and service stations all along the M5, lined up in the car parks with volunteers running aid stations out of the garage forecourts. People said they must have known their homes were vulnerable. We were protected by our houses and our educations and our high street shopping centres. We had the habit of luck and power and couldn't understand that they were not our right. We saw that the situation was bad elsewhere, but surely things would work out because didn't they always for us? We were paralysed, unable to plan, either for a future in which all was well or one in which it wasn't. I'm not going back, I said to father when he came home from work because the school had called to tell him I had left. What will you do instead, he asked, and I shrugged one shoulder up and slid my eyes away. There had been daffodils in the park at Christmas. The coast path had been redrawn in six different places over the last three years. I have to go and pick Paulie up from nursery, I said, unless you're going to do it. And I walked down the road to where Paulie was waiting, standing at the gate in his coat and hat and mittens. Your shoes are on the wrong feet, I said. No, they aren't. Oh, well, if you say so. What did you have for lunch? I can't remember. Strawberry sponge for pudding. Tasty. I love you, Paulie. I love you too. Can I watch a film when we get home? No. Pasta pesto for tea. He took my hand and worry burned off like mist.
0: What would you say to the, you know, what would you say to the kind of reader that looks out the window and goes, well, it's a nice day. It's not a nice day or whatever, Um, but my feet are dry and, you know, this isn't happening right now. You know, what do you kind of say to those readers? we we'll, we'll sort of treat this as science fiction are those readers that you kind to you know those people who do treat things as science fiction but have a better access to these things than you know more kind of what we might call literary novels or
1: i mean i think that that's you know it's it's you can't sort of take once you've written a book and kind of it's published you can't really complain about how people respond to it um you know and it's it's fine it, you know it, in many ways it it takes the tropes of science fiction and that's you know I like I like science fiction and I read a lot of genre fiction and I really love it I, th- I think that that's that's a perfectly kind of fine and valid way of looking at it I have I have more problems with people who kind of look at the world and go oh yeah it's, it's fine out there because I don't, I don't see it that way. But then, you know, also, I feel very strongly in a kind of broader way that, that the problems of this, of this era are not to be laid at the feet of individuals, you know, we can all recycle, but that's not going to save us. Systemic change might have a chance, but you know, who knows? You know, it was very important to me, that all of the main characters, or certainly all of the narrating characters in this novel, should be young because I wanted them to not be um, culpable for the thing that they're living through. You know, they lived through it, but they they were too young to um, to be responsible for it. And um, both Sally and Caro have, you know, they grew up through the kind of last days i suppose of of normality whereas paulie is young enough that he has no memory of it at all you know i i didn't want to sort of labor that point but i i did want it to be kind of present as this sort of wedge that that you know that kind of generational wedge that that he he doesn't have the reference points that they have and and that means that he has you know he doesn't he doesn't understand the concepts that they have and he doesn't understand some of the language that they have and he tries to keep that secret from them because he doesn't you know because he loves them like they love you know they all love one another and they're all desperately trying to you know protect one another Mm. from Mm. something that they do not have the capacity to protect one another from um you know which i think is familiar to lots of people in all sorts of ways i you know you know I, i wanted him to be i suppose the reason for the older two women to kind of keep to keep going but then when you look at what that means, you know, what actually are they, what are they keeping going? They are in a house by themselves, surviving progressively more hardship on, you know, tins and potatoes. (laughs) And uh, why why are they trying to keep one another alive so desperately? What do they think is going to happen? what's the alternative, you know, like all of those things, like, it's not, you know, I suppose I I sort of was thinking about the fact that you kind of keep alive when it comes down to it, because the alternative is worse up until a certain point. And I suppose Paulie was another way of sort of exploring that.
0: It's this idea then kind of this desire to continue to live, you know, continually odds with desire, you know, warning signs saying, (laughs) yeah, it ain't looking good. You know what I mean? So either way there is room in this novel for at least i thought joy and discovery and at times there was i don't know from the perspective writing about a child writing the perspective of a child even but there is a sort of joy of discovery of this world there's a there's a moment where there's a really lovely moment where paulie finds some birds and he gets very concerned about them and it's quite it's also sort of bittersweet i guess as well I just wondered if you were aware that you were right in this sense of joy and you know there is there is this sort of ref, as we sort of did, references to you know lying the witch in the wardrobe and there's this kind of you know this world is a kind of you know a fancy of a child it's kind of nine-year-esque
1: yes because it, it I need you know there did actually need to be a reason for them to kind of persevere but also because I think that it's it, it's about the sort of fallibility of joy you know the fact that like I can remember really clearly um last spring you know and in the really worst part of the kind of beginning of Covid walking and the the weather was incredible it was just so beautiful and you know where I am we're were by the sea and you know there's the river and we will you know I'd take the children out on a walk and it would just be incredible and 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 I would you know I couldn't help but feel happy because of that but then there was also you know the feeling that that happiness was sort of wrong or a betrayal or it was it was it was happiness that I didn't want to be feeling you know it's like so I think there's there's joy in it but um, and there's joy in it and particularly for Paulie you know he's a he's a young child and that that is uncomplicated joy in in whatever you find you know children can find joy anywhere like they have an extraordinary capacity for um happiness and kind of oddly inappropriate happiness um, <laughs> but you know as you get grow up I think particularly in the sort of world that we live in you know it's questions about whether that joy is a thing that alleviates is it a thing that is it is, is it an escape is it something which allows us to ignore you know the if it's really I like I you know I, I think that this is a book which is Really, just a book of questions. You know, this is—it's—it's like, it's complicated territory, and I—I I think that what I was trying—if you know—the one thing that I was trying to get at it was—it was that complexity and how, and how kind of thinking about it is sort of mind-bending and terrifying because you don't—I don't—I don't know what to do. Nobody knows what to do with any of it. You know, it feels impossible, and everything feels freighted, even though it's even that kind of joy. You know, but you take it where you can. I think
0: yeah, and I, I remember that I remember feeling that as well. I remember when presented with something that is quite you know awful and terrible and all oh, yeah, your horizons are restricted and you know you you open your eyes up more, I guess you have to find things that are worth you know finding and looking for I, and I do remember that kind of sense of you know I, I'll get a, a walk every day and I'm trying to go for a walk every day, and I do the same route most days. But then I was not doing that. My, my girlfriend and I would go and we were sort of going down little paths and through, you know, sort of bushes and over trees and going down routes that we wouldn't usually go down. And I don't know if it's that sense of you open your eyes up more to what's happening in the world, maybe. I don't know. What's on your, you know, kind of what's on your doorstep? Or they just kind of felt like, did you permit yourself to let these? You know, are you, are you permitting Paulie to have this joy, or or does it kind of come with a sense of you know, there's there's going to be some awful lessons down the line? Or,
1: I, I mean, I think that I wanted, you know, I think that they all respond to that, you know, and again, this was the advantage of having three characters is that they all respond to that differently. You know, like Paulie is is much younger, and he can and he can feel that without without being without it being complicated at all. I think, um, Sally is fairly pragmatic and i think that she can notice her joy the sort of the paradox of it but allow herself to take kind of heart from it Whereas at the the, you know very much the other end of the spectrum uh caro is is absolutely kind of tortured by by the whole of everything and and really can't let her let that experience kind of sit like she you know she can only see the anxiety in it and and the the sort of sadness in it and the the loss in it and she can't she can't let that coexist and I I mean you know those are those are those are all different ways of you know responding to a traumatic event I think.
0: I think the beauty of this novel is is that it's quite you know reading it the first time it's kind of sort of ethereal and on the second reading you know really sort of demarcate these characters and, and and Kara was this one who. You, there's a there's a pity for in a way mm. and not a kind you know not a I didn't pity her but there's a kind of you know you really sort of felt for her in the way that you don't for someone she felt caught up in this and she you know she sort of had a lot of she had to spend a lot of time with Paulie and she had to sort of bring him up and I mean I mean
1: definitely I think that so one of one of the things like that of you know is, is now I'm trying to think about what what to write what to do next you know what to kind of take on and it's a very very strange time to think about writing a book because um, of
0: the world at large or because of, it's I mean, end because of a COVID, like just because right. of COVID.
1: i think like how i don't want to write a lockdown novel but i also unless you're writing kind of true science fiction or really historical novel you can't not it's going to be really obvious for the next like five to 10 years. Either everyone in your novel is going to be walking around wearing masks, in which case it's obviously a COVID novel, or they're not going to be doing that, in which case it's obviously not a And either you know, th- that, like how to put, like, it just, yeah, that I've been thinking about that a lot. I think that it's going to be impossible to, I don't feel like I want to directly address it, but it also is, this is very much going to be the elephant in the fictional room.
0: Well, do you, do you not think this is, you know, is, is this, you know, do you think this is your lockdown novel in a way?
1: Oh, I finished it before before COVID started. I finished it like two weeks before, and then there was this awful bit where I sort of had to ring my agent and say I've written about the wrong
0: apocalypse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really thought it was going to be climate, and now it's uh, something <laughs> else.
0: Bloody virus! <laughs> put it in. I'll put it in the bin. I'll start again. No, well, you're, I'm glad you didn't.
1: <laughs> you, think, well, you know, surely
0: not though. Surely there are people are going to read themes into this. People are going to read the sense of impending doom
1: yeah I mean. rations
0: you know at, at, at the point at the start of all this we thought there was going to be the supermarkets were going to be stop yeah. you know there's rations there is um I mean metaphors of you know sort of flooding and it could be read as you know a sense of overwhelming kind of I don't, you can read it. Surely, this is the beauty of writing a, a novel about apocalypse. You it could be taken in many different ways, but yeah,
1: <laughs> it could be any, it's any apocalypse. <laughs> it's, it's your apocalypse.
0: <laughs> choose your. Own, you could do choose your own apocalypse adventure story. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I wondered if yeah. Obviously, this is written before before the before the pandemic, and
1: I mean, I definitely think that it must. Like, I, I can't kind of imagine reading it post post-COVID I I suppose um, you know having finished it beforehand I can't sort of obliterate it from my memory and then go back to read it so I do think that it has oddly made it into a slightly different book than the one that I wrote which isn't which is you know in itself a sort of oddity but then maybe you know maybe every book is a different book to the one that you wrote to some extent because it's you know people read it and they put their own things into it and that's how communication works um you know it's a two-way process
0: I guess I wondered why this novel and why now, because you don't make, because that's what you do. You don't make grand statements. You know, it's not an aphoristic novel. It's not a, you know, sort of really acute lines that strike you. Um, And the one that I have here is um, for decades, we had deferred payment or passed the bill along, but soon it would be due. And who else was there left to pay? And it's those kind of, that's what really gets to you, I think. Um, And whether or not it is, you know, climate change, Brexit pandemic you know the apocalypse yeah stuff like that really does, you know it works its way into, you, into, into your mind I'd say
1: I didn't want it to seem preachy so there was you know there, there, there was quite a lot that I kind of cut out that, um, that I could have that was much angrier um, because I think that one of the things that I wanted to have it in it I, you know if you choose to look for it or if you want to find it is this idea that you know and again, this goes back to the idea of the sort of um, the history of the last hundred years, I think, in this specifically in the UK, you know, that we have bought ourselves more and more ease. This time last century, um, you know, we're still pretty feudal <laughs> um, in, in many ways. You know, the life for Labour was was a, a very difficult one indeed, and then there was kind of enormous riches, and obviously that's still the case, but you know, and, and there is still tremendous poverty in this country. And I, I don't want to sort of take away from that, but broadly speaking, we have managed to create for ourselves this kind of very, certainly for most people in the middle, you know, this, this a much easier life than one that our grandparents mm. um, could, have, could have envisaged at the beginning of their lives. Um, and we've never been the ones that have been paying for it. That has always been... People elsewhere, and they've been paying all along, and you know, and it—the legacy of kind of colonial history is is there all the way through that, and it's there in climate change, and it's there in the fact that we are. Sorry.
0: No, I was going to say, who do you mean? People paying for elsewhere? Do you mean different generations? I mean the people
1: who are no, I I mean sort of geographically elsewhere. So, um, you know, the people who are making the things that we need, the people who are dealing with the waste from it the people who are um, put into poverty by our kind of needs and desires. And I think that kind of buried deep in our extremely still colonial psyches is this idea that we can just, we can keep on going. You know, like we've never, it's we've always been all right. You know, even when it's been bad, somehow something steps in and and then we're okay again. And and we just keep believing that that's gonna keep working. And we don't look too hard at the implications of it, you know. And I, I, I didn't want to put too much of that of of that kind of deep fury <laughs> into the into the book because it would, um, you know, it would just be it would just be a very long rant. But um, but I think you know that that was part of like that and my kind of own anxiety about the world was sort of and and, and the way that my anxiety, you know, the god that you know the things that you think about and try and do the things like oh well okay so um cow milk is bad um so now i'm we're only going to use oat milk but then oat milk comes in tetra pack and you know that i can't Easily recycle, and also, you know, you need farmland to grow the oat, and you need water, and maybe so. Maybe cow milk was better, or maybe maybe we shouldn't drink any milk at all. But we've got to drink something. Maybe we should just drink water. But okay, well, where's the water? You know, and every time when you try and think about it, this anxiety just kind of perpetuates itself, and it's impossible to ever kind of find the the still point or the calm point or or the idea of of resolution. You know, I think, and and those were the sort of twin starting points for it.
0: You know, how I mean I wonder how sort of um, how sort of you know satisfied then are you with a novel like the high house at the end of it? What does it feel like to come out and have, you know, knowing all this, is it something that you can put to the side or do you find that difficult? Or, you know, your status as a novelist and a successful one and a you know very good one, how does it, you know, how does it, how do you how do you feel at the end of a project like The High House?
1: I mean, I think that I think that the thing that I've sort of that I'm beginning to understand is that I never write the book that I want to write, you know, and um, and I always come out of it thinking, God, like that. The the ideas that I want to put in are always so sort of, they're either too direct or they're very nebulous or there's just too many of them, and you have to kind of refine it down until you've got you've got a novel. And I also think that you have to make that novel, you know, readable. Um, (laughs) to some extent otherwise you know I mean you know it's fine to write things that are unreadable but I think you have to be very clear that that's what you're doing and it's you know that's not something that I kind of want to pursue particularly so you kind of I think it's like I have all these sort of thoughts and ideas that are churning around and I find a kind of box to fit them in and then it turns out that some of them don't fit and you can't really, you know, you can make the box a bit bigger. But in order to have a story that is also sort of manageable and readable, some of it has to go. And I'm not trying to write polemic. So those, those kind of those ideas have to be sort of toned down. And, that, you know, there were real bits of this that I had to kind of cut out because I just thought, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying that, you know, that I'm not trying to, sort of rant at people and there are there are people who are writing much more eloquently and directly about those kind of socio-economic problems
0: you do yeah i mean you write it in a way that you know you write you always have these quite um sort of very long recursive sentences in some instances and big kind of you know long paragraphs i wonder if that's a way of you working in and working through these different ideas if that's a that you identified, that it does seem very sort of Jesse Greengrass, you know, <laughs> you pick it up and go, and it's even something, you know, in your short stories, all the other jobs, um, and just so much in that sort of maybe think about the high house, mm. just this idea of, you know, sort of self-sufficiency. and um, But you do write in a way that, or you seem to have identified a way that allows you to, it seems like you are sort of working in and working through these big ideas and a way to communicate this to the world but also it's very it seems very sort of reflective of you know kind of a monologue or inner thoughts yeah. you know reflect on the page I don't know if that's fair or not
1: yeah no that is absolutely fair I mean I think it also comes out of the fact that I have never I studied creative writing at all not even for five minutes so my you know academic training in as far as I did a degree <laughs> was you know writing essays so a lot of that you know a lot of it comes out of of that kind of skill set I think the attempt to kind of find a way of um, encapsulating your ideas of 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 putting a kind of a carapace of language around them such that they become easily transmissible
0: I guess is it's East Anglia somewhere that it is
1: it's a sort of mishmash of um yeah so I um my family or my mum's family are from are from East Anglia my grandparents In um okay. Lived lived in East Anglia. My grandfather's still alive. He's he's still down there in Felixstowe. Um, and I spent all my summers there. My grandfather was a river pilot up the Thames, um, which was which is pretty fascinating. Um, and so they sort of moved moved around quite a lot. But I spent all my summers um as a child staying with them in East Anglia. Um, but also now we live um in Berwick upon Tweed, which is on the northeast, right up the other end of the English coast so um, just just shy of the Scottish border Um, and so there's it's a bit I mean it's it's mostly Stanglia because that's so uh, sort of tempting on a floodplain basis Um, but there's also quite a lot of the sort of Northumberland coastal landscape in it and 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 of the sort of historical events that are mentioned some of them are in East Anglia. There's also um, this very brief mention of a fishing disaster, which is based on um, something that happened in Eyemouth, which is just just over the Scottish border. Um, So there's there's a bit of of both, but it's definitely kind of East Coast, North Sea Coast.
0: Well, I was going to ask, um, I don't know if this is the case, or um, at times I just felt like I was reading about flooding and water, you know, not necessarily, not necessarily from a, a disastrous point of view, just, just these descriptions. It's like reading, you know, sort of an Alice Oswald poem, just this mm. way you write about a moving, you know, kind of body that changes its form depending on where it is. And it's a lot, just incredibly fascinating from that respect. But also there, there is, uh, I don't know if I'm just trying to put Beric on the map a bit more, or we shouldn't be doing that <laughs> at all. Do it, do it. <laughs> But, yeah, um, Lindisfarne and Holy Island, um, yeah. which is obviously famous for the fact that you can only cross it at certain times because the water comes over the bridge and you can't go onto the island if the tide's in.
1: In, in my very, very, very early kind of thinking about this book, uh, the High House was on a tidal island rather than, it ends up having, So in, in the book it's got a tide pool, which is a kind of mill. Um, but yeah, at, at the very beginning, they were gonna be on an island, but then it just seemed like it was, it was sort of untenable or impractical. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I read a lot about kind of flooding and I think that one of the things, again, kind of going back to the theme of, you know, what's, what's normal progress and what's kind of difficulty. Um, you know, I read, I read a lot about flooding and the fact that flooding, has all you know the the landscape particularly the east coast landscape of of um of the uk or you know maybe the southern half of the uk has always been a a a flooding landscape you know that's what it is and and trying to keep the floods out has been a feature of um people's lives really you know from the first settlers to the mid 18th you know mid, mid mid 19th mid 19th century probably you know um with successful kind of drainage to what extent are we really just you know cycling back to that like these landscapes have always been in kind of impermanent um and liable to flood I actually I read, I read a book called liable to flood about the history of flooding in east Anglia, and and also about the 1953 north sea flood which which was an i mean absolutely devastating and produced kind of great loss of life here, even greater in um, the Netherlands. And and it's sort of nobody knows that it happened. You know, and it and it led to the, Tem- the, the the Thames barrier was built as a direct response to the 1953 flood. The um the system that we have now of um flood warnings, flood alerts, you know, from the Met Office, that again was developed as a response to the 1953 flood and um, you know East Anglia people were sort of waking up to find their houses underwater with with no warning it was an absolutely appalling um, event and you know I read a lot about that and, and the forgottenness of our coastal history I think really really struck me.
0: Yeah yeah I mean, it's it's events that I'm definitely unaware of, and we'll put some links into the show notes that people can you know check this check this stuff out because it's obviously there's a lot of flooding in the high house, um, but I just it was just so interesting to read from a kind of you know mainly think of, like I said Alice Oswald and just someone observing water and when mm. it moves it just you know Moby Dick just just those He does have this sort of magical you know he you know mystical quality doesn't it um i don't can you see do you can you see it now from where you work is it near your house or
1: the, uh, they see it's um, i can't see it from the house but we are um i mean i can get there on a bike in about two and a quarter minutes so <laughs> very we are very close very specific
0: <laughs> jesse greengrass it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you uh the high house is available now it's published by swift press and yeah, we look forward to seeing what you, you know, where we go next, Jesse. But for now, thank you very much for joining me on the Rippling Pages podcast. Thank you. My thanks again to Jesse for joining me, and of course, my thanks to you for listening as well. If you'd like to buy the high house, it's available from Swift Press and it's out now. Otherwise, it's until next time, where I'm going to be joined by Jo Scott Coe. She's here to discuss her book about the Texas Tower shooter, Charles Whitman and her non-fiction account of finding out more about Charles Rippen. Now, if you'd like to follow the Rippling Pages podcast on social media, you can do so via at Rippling underscore pages. That's at Rippling underscore pages, and that's for both Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to drop us a message, it'd be great to hear from you, and that's at RipplingPagesPod at gmail.com. That's a RipplingPagesPod at gmail.com.